Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Chance Burles. Chance is actually a content creator with a story that I know is going to impact so many people. Chance grew up all over Southern Alberta in Canada, wanting to be in the military from a very young age. He served in the Canadian forces for eight years, including an eight-month tour in Afghanistan. Upon release from the military, he struggled with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Over a decade later, he is a veteran advocate, podcaster, jujitsu enthusiast, and a husband to an amazing woman and father of two awesome boys. After Chance got out of the military, he struggled, as he openly shares in this episode today, with PTSD, MDD, and chronic pain while acclimatizing to being a new parent to a five-month-old son and transitioning into a veteran life. He had to take his life into his own hands and be the change he wanted to see in his life and in the world. Chance shares his journey through the military and how he had to come back to a service-based mindset after the military that led to the start of The Collective, a podcast platform that will have released one episode a day for all of 2023. It is an incredible show. I have been blessed to be a guest on the show and it is unlike any other podcast I have ever been on and it's a stretch and I loved it. So I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed. I encourage you to tune in and watch The Collective on YouTube. It is, it's an incredible show. So I cannot wait to dive into this episode as Chance shares his story with us. And this is the life in the post veteran life that I feel needs more conversation, especially in Canada is not something that we hear a lot about. So let's get started. Welcome to the show today, Chance. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. It's gonna be awesome. Absolutely. So you are another fellow Canadian. Yes, indeed. Uh, Albertan, born and bred, raised uh, from a very young age in Southern Alberta. All I love over that. Good times. Weren't you the one that I was on your show and you were like, ooh, Ontario? No. Was yeah. that you? <laughs> that was 100% me. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a hate-hate relationship with Ontario. It's, uh, okay. Although it, I, I, I did spend some time there um, a couple of years when I was working still in the Army. And uh, it was nice where I was, but everything else about Ontario is not great. <laughs> No, it's so funny because I am such a mountain and a water person. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what are you actually doing here? It is just, anyways, it's that's a story for another day. But I thought that was funny. I remember that. So I would love to just start with 
you are not just a fellow podcaster. You're like, you are literally, you dove into podcasting in such an incredible way. So we'd love to share a little bit about the work that you're doing now and what that involves, what you're doing and why you're so driven to be able to go into the modality of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, well, podcasting in general has been, I've been doing it for about five, five years now. And uh, initially I got started with the... Uh, my own show called Tools for the Toolbox. And it was designed around the conversations that we were having, my, myself and my friends. Uh, I have a lot of veteran friends of different trades and come from different backgrounds a lot of times. And we would discuss things around beers, you know, go to the, go to the pub, hang out, chat, have great times. And almost invariably, somebody would have an issue of some kind. It'd be, uh, you know, I'll, you know, my wife and I are getting along right now, or, you know, my kids are being real jerks or, I can't get my truck to, to work properly. You know, just something would come up and everybody at, at any point in time, one person could be relied upon to have been like, oh yeah, I've been there. This is what I did. And so there was these little tools that we were all passing amongst each other, but only amongst each other. And if you remembered it from that conversation, then we you know whether or not you'd use it. And uh, we sat down one day and we had this really in-depth conversation on what it meant to be a soldier and what that means before, during, and after war. Just to, and we all flesh it out and had this really, it's like two, three hours long conversation, probably had way too many beers while we were doing it, but yeah, it turned into a really great conversation. Somebody, we stood up and my buddy was like, man, we should record that. That would have made a wicked podcast. And I was like, indeed, mm. <laughs> indeed it would have. And, uh, and so, yeah, I started getting into podcasting to get those, those tools, those little things that we all use out to the world. So I started interviewing people and uh, it started with vets and then it kind of expanded to anybody and everybody that had a tool to share, to utilize and have these great conversations. Through that, my network started kind of build out, right? My friends would introduce me to other friends, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I got linked up with a guy named Sean Taylor who came up with this great idea to help the collective. And it was all about, you know, there there are problems within the veteran communities specifically that need to be solved. And a lot, there's a lot of talk being, <laughs> there's a lot of talk. And Sean Taylor is not a talk kind of person. No. Action. <laughs> Here it goes. <laughs> and uh, he messaged me at one point and uh, was like, okay, so I, I have a plan. And uh, we're going to go at a pace that you are not prepared for. But if you're willing to keep up, then, uh, you know, we, we can make some great things happen. And so we sat down and we started working on what came, became the collective and, uh, we let the collective shape itself. So we'd get input from the people that were watching and we started just him and I talking. And then we realized that, you know, probably can only talk about so much <laughs> together at the same time. Um, and I guess I should state at the beginning uh, he came up with the idea, well, let's do a, a chat every day. We'll do a, a live, a live podcast of some sort or a live show of some sort every day for a year. And I was like, um, okay. <laughs> There's thinking that, warned you, know, you, you would not be comfortable. Exactly. He warned me. And then, uh, I, I was like, let's, let's get it on. And we went to town. So the, uh, the collective itself is shaped 
itself, just based on feedback and what people want, what people like, what people uh, enjoy about these conversations. And we started bringing in other people and then we started bringing in panels of people. And then we, so it started to develop into this really nice round table kind of chat, fireside, pub side, whatever you want to, uh, whatever image pops into your head, but that type of relaxed conversation where we can actually dive into topics that just don't see the light of day very often. And we've been doing it every day since January 1st <laughs> this year. And so we're on day 333 today. And uh, it's... 333, I love that. I love that. It's a great number. Yeah, it's it's been a ride. And the best part about this, and this is, you know, it's helped tons and tons of people out there. And we've had, you know, thousands of people watch the show and it's, uh, we've had hundreds of guests now. It's, I get, I get to talk to really cool people <laughs> about really cool things. And I have grown immeasurably. Like I couldn't even tell you the person I was in December last year. I, I, I'm, uh, it's kind of it almost feels bad thinking that I was that person back then to what I am now and I still got like long way to go I'm looking forward to uh, the development and the growth that comes from this because like I said we're helping lots of people mm -hmm. fun. oh I love hearing that thank you for sharing the backstory to that I wasn't exactly sure how it all come together um, I've been I think I've been a guest on 140 episodes this year not including all of my own show and it was interesting. Your, I've never been on a show like yours before, and I loved it. But it definitely was like you better pay attention because because it's the it's the round table where the cups are moving all the time. You don't know when you're going to be. Not that we don't pay attention, but you really have to pay attention. Oh yeah, and, I, and I all do that sudden, on purpose, actually. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know it's not an accident. And somebody will go before you and you've got an idea in your head and then they say something and it's like, oh, damn, that's good. Like, how do I, well, how do I do this? And um, I loved it. I think it was fantastic the way it's done. So I love what you guys are doing. Oh, I, we really appreciate it. It's, um, it's kind of a labor of love. And I mean, especially <laughs> we're not making any money on it by any means, but the uh, it's, the continual feedback from people. That's the other part is it's not just like a, a watching thing. Yeah. So when people are commenting or people are watching the show, but they comment in and then we then process the question. Like I put it in front of everybody and then, okay, well, let's talk about this instead. And so there, you're, as you said, there's times where it, you know, you have this train of thought and we're going down this realm and then, nope, you know what? Let's go that way. <laughs> and then we're going to, let's follow that path over there. And yeah, on your toes. But I mean, I think that's great because I think that's a beautiful thing about podcasting is, is that I'm here for like the real conversations, the real raw conversations, not the edited perfect. I think we have enough of that in social media everywhere that I think the real stuff is important. And so one of the things that you shared is like it was really sparked with the concept of what it means to be a soldier. Mm. I would love it if you would share some thoughts on that. And what does it mean to be a soldier? You've got people listening here who have not served and don't know. And I think there's a big misconception that it's like the time that you are serving is when you are the soldier. And I think there's so much that you can share on that. Yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, it's a great question. <laughs> a, we, I mean, we've had many discussions about it. And at the basis of it to be, what what it means to be a good soldier means you are a 
dedicated servant to this idea that we should all take care of each other. And, and that's at, at the root of everything that I've come to understand of what it means to be a soldier is that it's, you know, it's kind of, there's a trope about it. You know, it's about the man next to you, which absolutely it is a hundred percent about him, but it's also about the, uh, the girl next to him. And it's about her husband at home and it's about their kids and those kids, friends, and those friends' families. And it just expands to the point that, you know, when you serve your nation, you're, it's not that you're serving the flag, it's mm. that you're serving your neighbor and you're serving your family and you're serving their family and et cetera. And, and you just build it out to the point that like, absolutely, well, whatever you need, we're here. That's the whole point. And I think that after all the discussions I've had about it, there's no difference between before, during, or after war. It's still service, 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 service to the guy next to you. And uh, that's what the collective is too, right? <laughs> it's that next service is that, yes, that the uniform might get passed on in and you don't have to wear it anymore and you're not, uh, you're not held to the standard that the military holds you to, which is to be your best at all times. And it's a bit of a struggle when you get out because of that, because you're used to that concept of just like you, just the standards here, you will achieve it period. And, um, so transitioning out can be a challenge, but afterwards, once you realize that that <laughs> the uniform isn't what created the service content or the, the service concept, it was yourself up here. Mm. Then you can start going, Oh, right. And you just fall right back into the, into the, the fold of it. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're here to serve. How can I help? And you start looking around and you start trying to find stuff. And the, uh, the, the pace that was set by Sean, I got to say, <laughs> is uh, way higher than I was used to, but it's fantastic because that pace of action, just action, constant action. What do you need to do this? Do it. Okay, <laughs> we find. I find I got. Uh, I personally got really hung up on. Well, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. And then I would get into this little circle of, well, I'm not doing it because of this, or there's these things in the way, or perhaps like maybe. And I would, you know, you make excuses for all these things, but the uh, the the cycle really is. I need to do this. Oh, okay, done. You take the lag time of thinking, right? Like we literally overthink so much that we don't get into action. And then that literally just stops. I think this piece on no matter whether it's like before, during, or after, you're still serving. Yeah. And I think that in a very simplistic way, it would be great if a lot of people actually had that idea and that concept of how can we serve Absolutely. others. I really do. I think that that would be something that could make a, it collectively would make a massive difference if more and more people were able to think like that. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what the collective is about when we talk about the, um, the actual purpose of the, the podcast is for people to work together. And that's one of the things that's happened because of, you know, I have groups of people you didn't know who was going to be on the show with you. Up I had no you didn't idea. know the topic that what we were going to talk about until the day of, right? The authenticity of just meeting people, discussing something that 
you had not planned on discussing that day. And then, you know, you, you make connections, you, you, it's not a massive hardship by any means to do these things, but it's a little stressful and it's a little stressful for the other person. So you're, you're meeting a new person and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but sure, let's talk about it. So you have a shared experience with another person, which creates a bond. And now you want, you know, people want to help each other and the connections that have been made, the network has just exploded. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm so grateful that I was there that day. And exactly like you said, I couldn't I couldn't prep for it. I listened to other episodes, but I also, in listening to other episodes, it was like, oh, they're all so different. So there's only so much I can, I, the best thing I can do is prepare. Like just be there and be ready mentally. So it was great. I, I think it was just an incredible opportunity. Um, I want to ask you, like you always wanted to be in the military. Is that right? Did yeah. I? Okay. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that, like from a young age. Is that what your experience was growing up? Or just what was it about that that pulled you? So I didn't really have much of an exposure. It was like, um, you know, G.I. Joe. And mm -hmm. <laughs> that was about it was my real exposure to the military at a young age. But I have pictures of myself when I was four in a olive drab sweater with army stenciled across like a straight up army t-shirt. And that was my favorite shirt ever um or myself standing sentry on top of my treehouse with my pop gun just staring off into nothingness for hours rigid because <laughs> that's you know i just really really wanted to do that mm -hmm. um so watching tv shows and watching uh movies it wasn't until i was mm, i'd say 10 or 11 where i finally understood that oh my granddad served in the military but I didn't know that up until that point. And so he had served in World War II as a combat engineer. Sure. And uh, I started, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And so I started asking him questions, but he would never talk about, never talk about it. We gleaned little bits and pieces from, you know, hearing conversations kind of from another room or um, he would kind of slip about something. My brother at one point in time found a, uh, and it, uh, it was an Italian army issue knife from the war and my wow. brother asked him what what's uh what is this and he's like oh uh the guy who had it didn't need it anymore and <laughs> both my brother and i are like oh wow okay um little things like that so we picked that up but we never really had i never had that direct experience to it and then so yeah growing up i just thought it was the coolest job ever i mean you get to run around with guns <laughs> and go do awesome things with your friends. Like that seems like the greatest experience ever. Uh, and so, yeah, as I, as I grew up that, that never dimmed. And the funny thing is, is my mom is like a hippie, like a real hardcore. She hitchhiked across the U S when she was 18 back in the sixties. And like, she's a hippie and, uh, she was, less than enthused about my really? yeah. choices and <laughs> what I wanted to do. Um, she was never, she never like deterred me from it in any way. She didn't say that it was bad or anything like that, but it was just like, there was, a, there was like a really, really, that's what you want to do. Okay. Um, but yeah. And then she was also, she's also the greatest supporter. So as I was in and through, she was always there and always helping and always trying to do something. So it was, uh, kind of hilarious growing up in that 
weird dichotomy, but. Wow. So, I mean, what age were you when you joined? I was 23. So I was actually late. The funny thing was, is that I actually became, I got pretty lax in high school and was a bit of a stoner, didn't do really much. And uh, I went from like dead end job to kind of dead end job for a little while. And then I was in, you know, it was 20, 21 when I signed up the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was because of a phone call I was having with my brother. He was in South Korea and he was teaching English and studying Taekwondo and, you know, living his best life and having a great time. And uh, I was talking to him on, you know, random phone call from South Korea. Hey man, how's it going? So we were chatting and he's like, so what are you up to right now? Are you working? And I'm like, no, nah, I just lost another stupid crappy job. And he's like, well, why don't you sign up for the army? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I could, because it was like, it was always like a little back pocket thing. Right. And then uh, he's like, well, what's stopping you? I took a second and, Looked around. Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. And he's like, well, then get off your ass and do it. And I was like, all right. And so that next morning I went in and did the paperwork and got it all signed up. Started the, and the funny thing was, I thought it was going to be like the movies where, you know, you walk into recruiter's office and you sign the dotted line and you walk out the back door and onto a bus and off you go. No, that's not how it happens. <laughs> it's like, well, so tell people here, how does it happen? Because that's exactly what we're exposed to in the movies, right? So it's, uh, there's a process to it, right? You, it's like a, applying for a job. So you go in, there's some paperwork you got to do. Uh, you have to get references and make sure that you have to, uh, you're capable of, you know, meeting the standard of which to get in. So there's, um, there's like a physical that has to be mm-hmm. scheduled and there's, a uh, like a PT test. So like how many pushups can you do and all these things to make sure you're capable once you're there. And then there's a waiting list. Okay. And so like you just expect a call at some point in the next five or six weeks, depending on what your trade is at the time. And, uh, and then you get a call and then you go make another appointment and you have to go get sworn in and then you're sworn in and then you got to wait for a period of time for your first course, which is basic training. And, uh, it can take, that process can sometimes take up a year, year and a half, two years sometimes, um, I got the dream though. Like the way it went for me was absolutely amazing, except for the whole having to apply twice, which kind of a funny story. So Go ahead. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to apply. I applied the first time right after my brother said, just get off your ass and do it. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and then, so there's a substance use form that you have to fill out, like what you've, uh, what drugs you've used throughout and it, coffee, alcohol, tobacco, it's everything. Um, so marijuana and I was like, man, I'm going <laughs> to try and do the math in my head. Like, geez, I don't know how much I've done. Um, and then, uh, and it was mushrooms, heroin, like everything. And it's, and they just say, Hey, if you haven't done it, just strike it off. No big deal. And so <laughs> I'm still trying to do like, okay, well, if I have like two drinks a day, that means I'm drinking like, and like doing all the math in my head of trying to be as accurate as possible because it's an official thing. I actually want to be 100% accurate. And I hear from the other applicants in the room just like, and I'm like, no way. No way. But I was like, whatever. They can do their thing. And uh, and then I get it, flip over the page and there's uh, mushrooms. And I was like, okay, well, it's been about like a year and a half. I think it's been a Yeah, sure. Okay, it's been about a year and a half. I didn't really know. And uh, passed it all in. 
And the recruiter was like, ooh. So at, you need at least three years separation from any sort of psychedelics before. Oh. And I was like. Three years. Weird number. Oh, dang. Okay. Well, I mean, like I was, I just didn't know how long it's been i mean i could i can change it if you want they're like no you're gonna have to come back in a year and a half and i was like you know what okay i'll show it i'll see you in a year and a half and to the day exactly 18 months later i walked back in and was like here you go and i like put my papers on the desk everything was done this is what i want to do i told you i'd be back and they were like i don't know who you are because it's a totally different crew, right? They had been posted out. And I was like, well, still, bang, let's do this. Yeah. And so um, that was the second time that was in, um, I think it was October of uh, 2005. I got sworn in December of 2005. Basic training started in January. So I had like two weeks to wait, two, three weeks to wait uh, over the Christmas holidays. Started immediately. Did 13 weeks of basic training, uh, went from there to do my soldier qualification. That was another six weeks. I had to get like a two week layover in between. And then I had another, I think it was three days between my SQ to my trades qualification course to be a combat engineer. And I was done my training and in my unit in eight months. Oh, wow. Is almost unheard of. (laughs) I was going to ask if that was pretty short timing. Very. And uh, that's what I was saying. Like I got the, the dream run because this is in 2006. So the war in Afghanistan is on. This is the, uh, operation Medusa, the battle of the white school, um, the a 10 strike on the RCR is like, we're getting casualties regularly as we're going through the training and our staff are sitting there going like, so and lay it out ied strike we just lost three more guys these are some of my friends like things like that and we're being reminded of this regularly throughout our training and so uh a lot of us i think it's i I don't know about all of us but it felt like all of us where we just it like made it more serious it was just like okay Mm. game on let's do it and i was going to ask you then like because you're hearing that all the time does that make it like more serious? I'm ready to do this. Or were there moments of like, I don't know about this. Like, did you ever have those moments? No, no, okay. there was, uh, it was, it just kind of like, it added to the challenge, I guess, if you know what I mean. Like it, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but I had no doubt that I was going to be a combat engineer. Like I had, I, there was the idea of not making it through the training had never actually occurred to me. And so anytime that we got reminded of casualties and things like that was, it just made it more like, I need to do better. I need to, (laughs) I need to learn more. I need to be more effective. I need to be stronger, faster, whatever I need to be Mm. because people are dying. So it just spurred me on even harder. And a lot of us, I can't think of anybody that, outwardly said like i don't really want to do this anymore yeah but most of us yeah yeah. wow i was just curious because like it's i mean it's a that's new world for me i just i mean when you aren't exposed to it or you don't have anybody in your like life direct life with it you're left with like 
what you see, what you read, which is like literally glorified movies that are not, I'm sure are not the case. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. So tell us, I mean, tell us what you can about your time in Afghanistan and like, was it what you expected? How did you change as a person? And just, I'm not going to poke and pry, but I just want to share. I just, I think this is, I think it's important because I think this is leading into how you're still in such a servant place and you're, you know, you are feeling so called to continue these conversations and do this work because there are so many of us who don't know what life is like and don't realize the support and things that you, that people still need afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, uh, it's funny because I, I have no problem talking about Afghanistan. The, um, I, I was telling you about my granddad earlier. I, him and I had a conversation after I got back from overseas and it was the only time I've ever heard him talk about the war. And it was the only time he ever opened up to me about the war was during that one conversation. And then I think we had a couple others, but it was less intense. But he went 70 years <laughs> without talking to a soul about right. any of the stuff. And he uh, he told he thought himself a coward <laughs> because of a single incident uh where he was overseas working on a railroad rebuilding a railroad that had been uh, blown up and they had called for volunteers to go to the front and he didn't put his hand up because he had he was working on stuff and so for 70 years he thought himself a coward because of that one incident and a lot of other issues that uh, stemmed from that throughout those times. It was in that moment that I was like, I am never going to be that person. Mm -hmm. I will be as open and honest and forthright with my experience as humanly possible because that's not happening to me. So I just wanted to relay that, but the, <laughs> the but yeah, I have no problem talking about Afghanistan. It's a, uh, it was an interesting uh, time. I was there for eight months. There were lots of really good times. There were lots of really horrible times, um, lots of in-between times and lots of just doing nothing. That's the one thing they don't tell you about kind of what war is like is that there's a whole lot of sitting around <laughs> waiting for somebody else. And that's, uh, that's actually a lot of the military time is spent just like kind of looking around going like, when is so-and-so going to show up or are yeah. we leaving yet? Or like, when are we going? Like that kind of stuff. Cause you're always staged for something. But always staying prepared, right? Like, so you're yeah, like sitting and waiting. You still have to be ready to like be on that, like immediate, be prepared. To absolutely. Move. And that, and yeah, that's what I mean is that like you have your gear set. So if you're not on operation, you're either cleaning your gear or training for the next operation or um, getting a little bit of downtime to usually clean stuff. <laughs> that's usually what your downtime is. So you're either cleaning or you're training. And then if you're not training or cleaning, you're on operation. So there's this like kind of cycle as you come in and come out and, uh, but that, so that's a lot of it, but there's a lot of, a lot of times where you're, you know, I, we need to go out on patrol. Okay. Well, everybody's going to show up at noon, but you don't want everybody to show up all at noon. So you got to be there 15 minutes early. So you're going to take that extra time, get your stuff ready, go there, lay your stuff out. So you're ready to leave at noon. Mm-hmm. But everybody does that. So we all show up 15 minutes early and then kind of like. I'll look at each other. 
Like, yeah, like, okay, so we're good. We're good. No, oh, we're not leaving yet. Okay, we got another five minutes. Like, and you're checking your gear and like there's stuff to do, right? But it's it's a lot of just kind of waiting around. <laughs> and uh, so th- there's, that's just a, a kind of a funny side note to it. But the actual time spent in Afghanistan, I was on uh, what's called a quick reaction force for five of the eight months that I was there. And basically that's like, you're like a fire truck, you're a policeman, you're a, like a first responder to the war zone. So if there's a patrol out and they get, they hit an IED or they get into a firefight and they need support, then the QRF spools up and we all roll out to go assist. So there's a lot of just kind of like being ready. Mm-hmm. We're going, okay. And you run off into your trucks and you go somewhere and you do, you do your work. You look for mines, you look for IEDs, you deal with casualties, you engage the firefight, whatever it is you need to do. Then you jump back in your truck <laughs> and you drive, you drive back to the base and then you kind of wait, right? <laughs> you clean your stuff and you do all your things. But it was, uh, it was really hot. That's one of the biggest things I remember. So Kandahar province is a, uh, it's right on the edge of the red desert. And I think the hottest day we had there was, uh, 69.4 degrees Celsius. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Even the, the Afghans didn't want to work either. <laughs> Everybody was just like, nope, no, it's too hot to do anything today. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so we showed up in um, February of 2008 and immediate, just immediately got to work. We started doing our handoff with the previous troop. We started cleaning our stuff. We started doing our gear, getting everything transferred over. And then we were on operations almost immediately. So we're doing patrols or um, a lot of it was presence patrols where we just kind of walk around or sometimes we'd get into what I'd call a pick a fight patrol, which was like, we're going to walk into enemy held territory just, just to poke the bear a little bit and be like, come on, we're outside. <laughs> Let's go play. And uh, so lots of that. And then a lot of, you know, driving around looking for IDs and trying to find the bad guys. It's uh <laughs> it, it's kind of boiled down into a very small portion of my life. Like it's an eight month period over uh, 40 odd years now. So it's, it's uh, quite a lot of intense experiences, quite a lot of really relaxed experiences. I got to see the, uh, like a dust storm, the, the wall as it's called. Oh, wow. Where you, it's like a massive just wall of sand and you can watch it just kind of encroach upon you over time. And you're just up until it takes, takes you over. And then, uh, and you're in the middle of a sandstorm for a little while. And then it's gone. This is over. It's crazy, crazy experiences, <laughs> but, um, eight months. Eight so months, eight yeah. months. And so you came home later that year, 2008, a lot of things happened in the world in 2008. When I think about that, that time that was a very crazy time um yeah <laughs> yeah i bought a house in january of 2008 oh no i went overseas and then came back and i was like upside down 60 70 thousand dollars upside down on the house and i was just like okay awesome this is gonna be fun um but then yeah i got back home after that period of time and right back to work. So we started training the next crew that we're going to be going overseas because that's the way the military works. So anybody that was over in say 2006, when I was training, by the time I, uh, they were the ones that trained us to go overseas because we have a, 
basically a year-long workout period. So again, when I was saying earlier that I had the dream on my entrance, I did my first year, all of my courses, got to my regiment, and the next year was all my workout. And then the next year was all of that tour. And then we were back to work at the end of it. And so, uh, yeah, when I got back in 2009, we or I got back late 2008, 2009, we started training the next crew of people. And then I immediately, you know, back to work. Like uh, we call it a relish office worker because we're the camouflage, but you just, you show up at work mm-hmm. like at an office, right? So, <laughs> except you do PT in the morning and then you, you do your job throughout the day. Um, spent some time in there and I, I had a lot of struggles when I got back from Afghanistan that, uh, I was not prepared for the actual combat and stuff. The, the Canadian forces trains us really well. So I didn't really have many issues while we were overseas, but when we got back, it was, uh, it was weird because wartime army and peacetime army are very different things <laughs> and there's two different games right so wartime army when you're overseas whatever you need you'll get so if i need new uh new clothes because mine are damaged done you need uh new vehicle because yours got blown up done right it's just whatever you need bang 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 bang, bang. when you get back home it's administrative right and there's paperwork that needs to be filled out well these pants aren't entirely ripped so i'm not going to give you a new pair like little like little things that just this isn't the way it's supposed to work (laughs) of course being a uh you know junior corporal at that point in time i didn't really know how i thought i knew how things worked but i really didn't and uh so i struggled with that a lot was just the the separation between the two and i was just so i was focused i was like okay i need to get back overseas if I can just get back overseas, that's where things make sense. We'll be good. Uh, tried to get back overseas. Was set up for another tour. Had a disagreement <laughs> with one of my bosses, one of the sergeant majors. And my name came off of tour all of a sudden. <laughs> I was like, okay. And that kind of added to this this little chip that I was building on my shoulder over time. Just like... Nobody knows how to do it right. I know how to do it right. Nobody's listening to me. And it was always, it was just me, 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 the whole way. Mm-hmm. That led up to, I was, I was bitter and angry, didn't want to be, and I had completely forgotten what it meant to be a servant, what it meant to be a soldier. I just, I was so focused on what I wanted and how, why wasn't I getting the things that I wanted, that kind of stuff. And, uh, Got a, requested for a posting. Got posted Ontario out in uh, Meaford, just outside of uh, Wasega Beach and all that stuff right on Georgia Bay. Beautiful spot. And that kind of flipped everything over again because now I was an instructor and now I had to, I had a, a role to play. I was the standard. So I, like, I'm not going to let recruits see me whine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not going to happen, right? And so my my standard went back up to service, right? I need to make sure that these guys are good to go because I know where they're going. So they're going to get the best the best training out of me across the board. And so that <laughs> I did that little flip flop where I was like, all about service, 
all about me. <laughs> it was all about the service again. And, uh, you know, had a blast there. I got to do lots of demolitions when I was in Meaford. So like I was, <laughs> I was living my best life. I was blowing things up on a regular basis, which is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was teaching recruits, which was really rewarding because you can watch them put the pieces together and then apply them, which is fantastic. And my buddies were there that I had been overseas with. So we, you know, we hung out a lot and we went out for beers and we went out for chicken wings. And so I like, I got to be one of the guys again, we got to do all these really cool things and I was doing my job and I was teaching and it, like, it was just a really great experience. So I kind of fell in love with the army again, if that makes sense. And then decided to, uh, decided to get out said, you know, I didn't want to carry on my career anymore. And this is upwards of eight years. I had met my, my now wife <laughs> and she was, uh, she was pregnant with our first child. And I was, I was like, okay, you know what? I want to be home with my family. So I'm done. I'm going to call the army done. And again, I thought it was again about me. So I left the army and uh, went through, I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress and major depressive disorder and anxiety um, right before I got out in 2000. I got out in 2018, but I got diagnosed in 2017. And, and then I just immediately went back to, well, what was me? Like, why is nothing being done for me? This is like, and I started really trying to like turn it all back on towards myself, which led to more issues from there, right? All the post-traumatic stress and the depression that <laughs> they don't, they're not assisted in any way by, or they're not uh, made better in any way by being selfish. <laughs> it's, it doesn't work that way. So. But it, that's I, perspective, right? Like that's, that's yeah. when you're in that space, like it's not on purpose. It's not because you're bad for mm -hmm. something, but like, that's where your reflective state is. And so it's really hard to find yourself out of that hole because that's where perspective is. Absolutely. And yeah, I do say that you're absolutely correct in, in pointing that out. I say this now after, you know, a decade plus mm -hmm. of, of separation and growth and development to be able to look back on that and say, Oh, I messed that one up bad. <laughs> and it is a, uh, it, it still has a little bit of a sore spot, I think in, in, you know, in the back of my head, but there, there's only way to, there's only one way to go from here is upwards. Right. So I got out of the military. I struggled quite a bit. Uh, the one benefit was, is while I was in Meaford, there was only one veterans affairs, um, representative on base. And I was the only person getting out at that time. So I had this direct one-on-one -on -one access to Veterans Affairs. And the lady there was super helpful. She basically handed me all of the papers and just said, sign all of these. We're going to apply for everything across the board. And I was like, okay. And just started doing all that paperwork and hammering it out. So I got taken care of quite well. I got put on a program that paid me 90% of what I was making while I was in the military mm -hmm. um, consistently up until I'm 65, just based on the injuries and stuff that I have because I got a medical release. Okay. And uh, so like financially, I wasn't like immediately searching for a job. I was like, okay, well, I could take some time. And then it paid for some schooling and paid me, um, you know, paid for my equipment and all the stuff. So I got taken care of really well. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I, 
I didn't see it like that initially. This is from perspective. So at the time, I just started looking around like, okay, well, now what do I do? Well, I got I got to see a therapist because I got diagnosed with this thing. And so started seeing a therapist and that was the, the common theme in all of this and um, is the fact that I was not actively choosing anything in all of this. I was just allowing things to happen, which is not a good plan. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole concept of your podcast, right? It's like, got to take command of your own life. And uh, I wasn't doing that at all. It's like the army said, this guy is the person to go see. So I'm going to go see that person. And I went there for a year and it just kept getting worse. And I was like, why am I getting worse? Like this, everything is getting worse. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who had been through the process and he's just like, oh, you know, you can go see anybody you want, right? It's <laughs> like, what? What do you mean? I can go like, no, no, this is the guy, the army, they, they said, this is the guy to see. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. As long as they're covered blue cross, that kind of stuff, you're good. Just go find somebody, find somebody that makes sense. Like that you can talk to. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And so I started taking control of this whole thing. And I was like, okay, well now I'm going to go find a doc that makes sense. Someone local that I don't need to drive into town for. Okay. Well, there's this uh, one lady, she's a, and I'm going to look for a trauma specialist because I don't want to have to describe what military service is like to my doc, right? So found this uh, awesome lady who's still my therapist today, and uh, we've been working together since, since that day, but uh, she also does equine therapy. And I was like, I like horses. I grew up in, on the ranch. I saw in Alberta. I, this is my lifestyle. Yeah, let's do it. Horses and therapy. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. I'll take it. And uh, started that road and immediately made strides, Im like immediately within the first couple of, uh, of sessions, just working with the horses. That opened up everything else. And then I took me, I think about a year, bandwidth kind of lifted up from all of the stress and all of the, the anger. And that immediately went back to, well, man, I'm, I'm being taken care of pretty well. And I'd be talking to my friends who were not. Gonna ask that question. I was going to ask that question. I think that like, I, I I'm grateful that you had that, but I did want to ask that question is how normal is that? Because I have to believe that what you were experiencing is more normal than what people would understand or see. So were, are other people being taken care of the same way? No, <laughs> that was, uh, that's what I started to realize was that I was the odd one out was that I'd talk to my friends and be like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on this program and, or we'd be talking and they'd say, Oh yeah, I, I went and got a job immediately. Cause you know, I got to make sure that I get paid, but now I don't know what to do. Cause I don't like this job. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what do you mean you went and got a job right away? Didn't you just get covered by such and such this program? And they're like, I didn't even know that existed. What? what? <laughs> okay. Well let's. And so I, that kind of led me into, well, I'm going to start doing some research then, because if, if I'm different somehow, there's got to be a reason for it. So I started doing the research and it was just the fact that nobody told them they didn't apply for it. So they didn't get what I got because nobody told them that it existed. Now there is the, uh, you know, it's personal responsibility that if you are getting a program, if you're leaving the system and programs are available, you should be looking into them. Right. But, uh, also, also on the side of the institution, if you have these programs, 
you should be shoving it in people's faces. <laughs> I'm going to go with option B even more. And I just, I think both are right. I do think we all have personal responsibility. And I also think when people are in the lowest points of their life and they're struggling and they are dealing with, you know, depression and, and mental health and PTSD, like there's... It's the model of the world, right? We are, we are, yes, we're personally responsible for what we do, but it's how we see our world is what we see what is available for us. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, if those things are available and that was not an exception, not sharing it is such a massive disservice, such a massive disservice. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I, I'm, I, I see both sides of it as well. Yeah. And, but especially for the institution like the military, uh, I, one of the things I say pretty regularly is that it behooves the nation, like as a as a society, as a, as Canadians, it does well upon us to have really well adjusted, effective veterans in society. It does us no good to have broken, <laughs> messed up, you know. Um, people just out on the street who don't know how to use the skills that they have because the military gives us such amazing skills and experience using them. That's the big thing that I think, um, you know, the military, the veteran has over top of anybody else is that, you know, you might go to a, a class in high school that teaches you how to give public speaks or do public speaking. And uh, you may do that, you know, two, three minute speeches in front of your class. And that gives you a little bit of experience. You join the military, you're going to be talking in front of 40, 50 people, whether you like it or not. And you're going to do it over and over and over and over again until it becomes nothing. And you, you so to this day, like now you put 500 people in front of me. Okay, cool. Let's talk. Right. <laughs> I got like. It might sound silly, but that's a huge skill. Like the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Like it is the number one fear. So even just talking about that in itself, like that's a skill that people are learning that is very applicable out into the world. 100%. Yeah. Wow. 100%. And there's like lots of them. Timeliness at, at a at a minimum. Like we show up, like I said, 15 minutes early. You did. <laughs> you did. You learned it. I love, I was finishing a podcast and I saw you pop on. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's definitely prompt. I love that. <laughs> that was just what I, I was here 10 minutes before that, <laughs> just to be sure, like all my stuff was set up and ready. And like, I, I absolutely got to make sure that this is like, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Trying to be, timeliness is perfect, but that's part of the military, right? If you don't show up on time for a particular operation, people mm -hmm. die. <laughs> it's, the, the stakes are like a hundred and that's not always the stakes, but this, that is the stakes. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, uh, it's a mindset that we just, you, you don't lose. It doesn't go away. It, it's that little thing that kind of nags. And, and it's the first thing you get taught in basic training, timings, 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 always timings, always 15 minutes early timings time. And it's throughout all your training, throughout all your time in the military timings. <laughs> You can ask anybody. I think if you were to probably, if you met another veteran and just kind of like walked up to them and like timings, they'd go, oh man. And they like immediately, <laughs> what do I, it would be one of those things, right? Uh, but so that's another one of those things that uh, the average person just, if it's not taught to you, it's not something used regularly. Military people get it and it's because it's 
consistent over and over and over for years. And yeah, it, uh, the ability to learn, the ability to sit and focus on a task, the, the, the ability to work with other people, all of these things that we don't take, we as veterans don't take seriously sometimes because it's just so normal. A lot of the, uh, a lot of society doesn't have those skills to utilize. <laughs> it's, they don't. They they really don't. I can. I think that's a very fair statement to make. So I want to ask this. You know, as Canadians, how are we supporting our veterans, and what could be done differently? You've already touched on a few things, but I'm just. I want to ask this because again, people not knowing what is out there, what's available, maybe compared to other parts of the world. I don't even know, but I'm just asking. Like, how are we? supporting our veterans and what could we doing we what could we be doing differently um i'd say the average canadian populace supports their troops almost across the board the biggest problem that i see is that a lot of the, a lot of the canadian population doesn't know they have troops True. period <laughs> right um and that's one of the biggest things uh, i i've co-founded a, a thing called the Canadian Walk for Veterans uh, a number of years ago. And the whole point of it was to get people and soldiers and veterans walking together, just shoulder to shoulder, walking together so they can recognize like, oh, because I, I don't know how many times I've heard a story where, actually, I, this is one of my own, but I pulled into a, uh, a Canadian tire parking lot mm -hmm. and I have a veteran plate on my truck and I got out of the truck and this older gentleman came up to me and he's like, Hey, is that your granddad's truck? And I was like, Nope, it's mine. And he goes, Oh, well, I see you're parked in a handicapped spot. And I'm like, yep, it's mine. And he goes, but no, you're, and I was like, well, the, the IED in Afghanistan said otherwise. So like, what do you want to do, man? And he goes, Oh, you're a veteran. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, but I've heard hundreds of stories like that where people don't even realize that A, we had service members at all, um, B, that we had people in a war zone, C, that there is a, uh, there was a war going on at the time. A lot of people thought we were in Iraq, not even Afghan, like mm -hmm. lots of those little things, right? But I'd say in all of my experience, those people are a, they're almost a rarity. Uh, they're uncommon. The most common people are absolutely supportive, 100%, you know, want to do right by the service member. Um, but honestly, the best thing, one of the things that made me feel the best about it was just people shaking my hand, right? The Just the recognition there, that was probably the, the, I've had people buy me meals and I've had people pay for my coffee and, you know, like, uh, you know, say thank you for your service. And I, those are all appreciated, absolutely. But um the few that have made the, the most um, impact, I guess, was I've had people come up and be like, shake my hand, look me in the eyes and be like, I appreciate what you do. And I was like, rock on. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just simple thing. But I think like, it's just, it really does speak to like how we can make a difference with somebody else with just a really simple thing that takes seconds. Yeah. Seconds. Well, it's action. Mm -hmm. That's that there's lots of thoughts and lots of thanks for your service. Appreciate it. You know, like there's lots of words that you can say and lots of things that uh, you can think, but just 
doing something, physically doing something, physically recognizing somebody, taking the time to look someone else in the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. That's huge. It, yeah. So how do you um, continue to support yourself now? And do you have moments where it still weighs on you, that you still feel it, that you still experience it? Because I know this stuff, it's not as simple as a Band-Aid, right? It's not It's not as simple as a Band-Aid and it's gone. I just want to know like, how you continue to support yourself throughout this time. Um, well, so Benefit, I'm still on that uh, that original program. So I'm, I'm financially, I'm taken care of. Um, I'm still getting my you know, government checks in the mail. They pay for my medicine. They pay for my physio, all that stuff. So I'm being taken care of quite well still. Um, but the key that I found over took me a while. That's why I started the Walk for Veterans, why I started the podcast, is that I still have that drive to serve. Mm-hmm. And so getting into the collective and doing the the podcasting and consistently trying to be an advocate for people. And that's what the really that's how I take care of myself is that I'm I, I do jujitsu. That's the other one. <laughs> that's the other that one. My family, you know, like I got my my wife, my beautiful wife and my boys and those are the things I do. I like, I podcast, I do jujitsu and I hang out with my family. Uh, that's kind of the, the extent of my life at the moment. And, you know, I, I try to be as involved in the present moment as possible. And one of the things I actually mentioned on my, uh, on the collective this morning was there were days where I would try to control the conversation because I, I mean, you've been on the show. I'm, I'm the more of a moderator than I am a contributor, right? And I'm moving people around and calling up, making, I'm asking questions and I'm engaging that way. But I, what I said today, I realized was that when I try to control the conversation, when I try to ask a particular question or I'm looking for a certain answer or I try to shape it the way I want it to shape it, it doesn't go very well. And it, and then I, I start to, I start to giggle when I get nervous. I start to giggle a lot. I have these little snickers. I actually have it written on my, uh, right in front of my camera. Snicker. <laughs> Just to remind me not to do that. And, uh, I love that. But what I realized was that when I let go of it, like enter into the conversation present, mm-hmm. what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about that. The conversation flows and the questions come up naturally. And there is this, so I have, you know, a, a direction I kind of want to go, right, with the general topic. Let's talk about this. But then just take my hands off and see what happens. <laughs> and that's where the, uh, the adventure kicks into it, where you get to, like, experience it in that moment. It's the same thing as that handshake. You get to be there. You get to be present in that moment. It's the same thing that I, you know, I enjoyed about being in the military is that it's a presence you get to be there in that moment, not somewhere else. Especially when you're dealing with explosives. That's a whole other story. Is that when you're dealing with explosives, yet presence is key, right? You got to be right there. So it uh, it's been a it's an evolving thought pattern that has come up in my head in the last little while that I've been latching onto is that pick a direction, but then you know see what happens. But keep going. Just like we're gonna keep rolling. We're going north. Cool. We're going north. Yeah. Just keep rolling. Yeah. And staying in that, in that presence, like present moment, but also in the presence of service. And I love exactly. that. Really powerful. I think that's really powerful. Where can people, I'll make sure everything is in the show notes, but 
where's the best place to tune into the collective? So the collective is on YouTube. It's on uh, every day uh, for the end of the year. We're, we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do next year because <laughs> uh, every day for a second year might be untenable with my wife and I. But we'll see what happens <laughs> with that. No, but the uh, so we're going to keep going, but we're, we might uh, focus a little bit more. We're not quite sure exactly how we're going to play that out. We'll let the collective kind of decide. And then, um, but yeah, if you want to watch the collectives on YouTube, you can find it at. Uh, at the underscore collective underscore YT for YouTube. Um, if you want to link up with us on Instagram, it's the underscore collective underscore IG, like Instagram. And uh, if you want to link up with me, I'm at MasterCorporals, MCPL, B-U-R-L-E-S um, on Instagram. That's primarily what I do. But most of my feed is full of the collective. So, I mean, follow both, but <laughs> that's, uh, it is the, the the collective in and of itself. And then, yeah, if uh Sean as well. He's um he's at Sean Taylor's one, and that is him and I on the collective every day talking about these massive, in depth topics. And recently, because he's been in Malaysia, we've been recording at uh, going live at six thirty in the morning my time. So waking up first thing in the morning, getting my gear set up, and then like trying to get my mind right so that I can dip into a, an in-depth conversation about uh, uh, today. We talked about um, perpetual growth, I think it was. I, and now that I'm personal development, there we go. Mm-hmm. Developing yourself consistently over time. And great conversation. But, uh, you know, waking up and having that kind of discussion first thing in the morning is, it's not, it's like a challenge. It's a discipline. And I get to like mm-hmm. focus up and rein everything in and then dive into the show it's good times it is it is bright and early and i mean yeah that's definitely i i will definitely make sure everything is in the show notes but it's a great show because there is it is forever changing and there's so many different perspectives like i said it was it was like the musical cup like the cup game that just moving all the time but i loved it i loved being in that in that um space and it's interesting that you say that about presence because that's what I feel like the show is. Like if you're going to be part of it, it's like be present right in that second. You don't know when your name's going to be called. You don't know what the questions are going to be. And you're getting feedback sometimes from the audience. So then it just flips again. And I just think it's a really powerful and unique show. I think it's, I, 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 I said, it, I think I find it very unique and I love what you guys are doing. I, I appreciate it. That's that's what we've been going for was that uh, that fireside chat, right? You don't know what the conversation is going to be. You just know it's going to be good. So buckle up. Yeah, buckle up. When you open up the doors and you make it safe for people to have conversations, that's when I think the magical ones come out. That's when I think the like actually really important ones, like we don't want to just sit around talking about weather or politics. And be, like, let's just get into the people. And I think that's what's really powerful. Well, we have uh, we have four rules on the collective, and it is we don't talk about race, religion, or politics, and there's no swearing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, and it's not that we can't talk about those things. It's just that they're divisive to begin with. Mm-hmm. And and to that point, actually, we've talked about we have kind of brushed up against them. We've had people talk about spirituality. We've had t- people talk about you know um, what religion kind of means to them. But we just don't dive into 
the, the philosophies of them all and oh well this side and that side it just it doesn't matter yeah and it's i really love how you put that it is it's to be present to be 100 mm-hmm. percent be present i love it yeah it ties in exactly with what you're saying so like it's very consistent mission with all the work that you're doing which i love i love i will make sure everything is in the show notes i really appreciate you being here sharing this journey with us because I think it's just, it's so important and it's not something I get a lot of requests to be on the podcast. I get a lot of different conversations and I really like to have a lot of different experience and perspective come in. And I'm so grateful that you were here to have this conversation today. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you for having me. This was was awesome. And we're going to get you back on the collective soon. I would I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I have one more question for you. It is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Humility. Mm. Being being humble enough to realize that to do your best in the moment is enough, but can be done better in the next. So, so good. Thank you, honestly, for, yeah, a really powerful conversation. My pleasure. It's, I'm happy, happy to chat. And my side note, my wife uh, at one point called me a social butterfly. And I was like, what? No, no, I don't really like talking to people. And she's like, are you kidding me? You see somebody with a veteran license plate, you'll go strike up a conversation. You see somebody with a friggin' veteran patch on their shirt, you'll go strike up a conversation. And I was like, well, I get, and she's like, and you have an entire show based around talking to people. And I'm like, guess I am. <laughs> I guess I'll take it. Funny, isn't it? Like, I mean, I podcast all the time. I do like my quiet time. I really actually do quite like my, I'm that introvert, extrovert person. Yep. But we'll be like somewhere and all of a sudden, like I'm having the most in-depth conversation with the person in line beside me. And my husband's like, hi, like what? Could, how about just like, hi, how are you? How do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't try. I just opened it up and all of a sudden there's a conversation and we're having like just a beautiful in-depth. But it's obviously the person that is meant to be there because it's, you know, there, there are other people I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not having any conversation with that person right now. Not my energy right now. So it's all good, but it is funny. He's like, you literally will have the deepest conversation with anyone. I'm like, but they're open for it. It's a, it's that kind of person. I like to get to know people and I like to have those questions and conversations. I a hundred percent agree. And I was thinking that, um, you know, how often do you want to talk about the weather? Ugh. Like how much, like how much do you really want to talk about the weather? Right. I, I would much rather have a five minute in-depth conversation with my checkout counter person than, oh yeah, it's nice outside, ain't it? Oh, right? like, like, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when you can have the one, why would you take the other? Like, I am totally with you on that. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.